This episode is brought to you by Logos Bible Software. Logos Bible Software is by far my favorite and most used Bible study tool. I use it for sermon prep, personal Bible study, and it's where I've chosen to buy my books and build my theological library. In Logos, your books aren't just books, but they're integrated with a host of tools that not only enhance the value of those books, but empower your study of scripture. Listeners of this podcast can get a special discount on Logos by following my unique link in the show notes. And in addition to that discount, they're going to go ahead and throw in a free five books for you. If you're unsure, go ahead and follow that link anyways, because there's also a free version of Logos that you can get. That's right, free. All right, now to the podcast. Hey everybody, you are listening to the Church Theology Podcast, a podcast on the church, for the church. My name is Kirk Miller, and today we are continuing our series on the coronavirus, considering how we as believers and worshipers of Christ, as his church, can think well about the situation in which we find ourselves and respond helpfully as well. Um, And today I want to address the topic of um, or the concern of us as a church, as the church being ready to and and preparing ourselves mentally um, and even practically to care for others in radical um, as well as even self-sacrificing ways. Um, So we've already seen in some parts of the world that certain countries are beginning to face real significant hardships, Um, whether that's the amount of, uh, in terms of the amount of people being infected or even the death tolls, um, as well as even just the economic impact of this all. I mean, I saw folks already that have, even in the United States, that have lost their jobs over this. And so the ramifications of this pandemic are quite broad and the hardships are not um, insignificant. Now, I'm not, again, trying, not claiming to predict to know how things will go or how bad or not bad things will be, but I at least want to say, just based on some of the predictions that are out there, some of the experts, um, what they're saying could occur or what we're even just seeing already in certain parts of the world, we as a church need to be ready. We need to mentally prepare ourselves and practically prepare ourselves to step into uh, the gap of of being able and willing um, joyfully to serve other people and to uh, meet needs even at our own, at a cost to ourselves. Um, this is really something that fits the nature of what the church has always been. In some ways, we might think that this is like pandemics, the coronavirus, this is go time for the church to be the church. Um, even going back to Acts 2, at the inception of the church, uh, we see the church at the end of the chapter there, as, as after Peter preaches the gospel and a group of Jesus followers are brought together, they sell what they have in order to take care of each other. They are A community is formed in which people care for each other. In Acts 6, they are taking steps to make sure that the, that the widows in their midst are being cared for. Or when we get to 2 Corinthians, we see that when a famine had struck Jerusalem and there were believers there in need, that Paul organized 
uh, an offering across Gentile churches to help meet that need, even in churches where they were not necessarily that well off and it was a sacrifice to themselves. That this is something that that characterizes the church is this sort of sacrificial love and care, a sort of sacrificial love that finds its pattern, of course, in our Savior himself who sacrificed his life for ours. And so we sacrifice for the sake of others as those um, affected by his love and demonstrating that love to others. And this is part of our pedigree as the church. Um, This is something that the church has done across history. And I want to just kind of walk us through some of those examples that we might be encouraged and challenged um, and even mentally prepared, you know, whatever comes for us, however bad or not bad things would be, that nonetheless we would be challenged by some of these examples to think of, to, to place ourselves within that tradition of Jesus followers who step into his pattern of sacrificial care for others. So let me give you just a, a couple examples here that give you a taste. And this is something that we see across church history is that during times of plagues, and famines and um, time where society was struck with uh, catastrophe, the believers, even when non-believers sort of step back and they sort of practice self-preservation and selfishness, the believers were notable for caring for others, even at the expense to themselves, caring for those inflicted with diseases, even at the possibility of contracting it themselves. And it was notable to the onlooking world that it actually resulted in a lot of people converting to Christ because they saw the radical sort of love that the Christians had. So I'll give you one example um, and then uh, another to follow. But um, in the third century, there was a plague that broke out. And it's estimated that about a third to a quarter of the Roman Empire died as a result of this plague. Um, And we have the testimony of one named Dionysius, who is the Bishop of Alexandria at that time. And he said this of of sort of how the non-Christians were responding. He he said that they, as you'll see, they responded sort of in self-protection, self-preservation, that they wanted to avoid the sick at all costs because, of course, that means they could get sick and it would not go well for them. And so he says this, he says, quote, at the first onset of the disease, they, and that is the, the general public, they pushed the sufferers away and fled from their dearest, their own, their own families, the people that were dear to them, throwing them into the roads before they were dead and treating unburied corpses as dirt, hoping thereby to avert the spread and contagion of the fatal disease. But do what they might, they found it difficult to escape. On the other hand, Dionysius tells of the Christian response, of how the Christians responded in the situation. He says this, quote, Most of our brother Christians showed, showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of the danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ, and with them departed this life, serenely happy, For they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Many in nursing and curing others transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. 
And so we see this radical sort of love that these Christians demonstrated um, that was just peculiar in a world where others were recoiling. And the result of this is that even though the Christians were a very, very small minority, I mean, this, the Christianity was not a popular movement at this time, and, and Christians weren't, were not a large segment of the population. It's estimated that Christians were less than 0.1% of the total population at this time. That nonetheless, even though they were small, incredibly small group, they drew the attention of the onlooking world because of their radical self-sacrificing love. That even uh, the emperors at the time wrote about their acts. Um, frustratingly, they wrote, wrote about it as a frustration because they didn't like that the Christians were gaining traction in this way. Um, but nonetheless, it, it, people noticed. And the impact was that um, people were stunned by this sort of witness of um, radical love for one another and love for others. And second, because of this, a lot of people actually converted to Christianity, that Christianity experienced incredible growth by those who survived and benefited from the care of these Christian neighbors. In fact, one author says this. He says, if you want to know how Christianity went from an obscure marginal movement to representing about 6 million believers by AD 300, plagues were a huge factor. That one of the ways Christianity grew is because of plagues. Because Christians in the midst of plagues showed a radical counter-cultural extraordinary self-sacrificing care for others. Another example would be uh, what Martin Luther tells us and what he writes during his time. Um, as you know, the bubonic plague or the black, what was called Black Death was something that lasted for quite a long time and different outbreaks would occur. Um, and one outbreak occurred during his time in his city. And he actually ended up writing a tract, a little short piece on how to respond to it and like whether it was okay for people to flee the town for their own well-being. Um, and he said, you know, he gave certain circumstances, you know, where it's okay to, to leave, you know, if, if you meet this criteria. But if you're someone who's sort of a caretaker, you should stay and care for others. And so he kind of wrote on these things. But I just want to read two quotes from him as he was reflecting on this in this situation. He said this, quote, we must respect the word of Christ. That being, I was sick and you did not visit me. So Luther is quoting Matthew 25 there when Jesus says to those who will be cast out and, and not enter the kingdom, I was sick and you did not visit me. Luther says, we have to, let's heed that word. He continues, according to this passage, we are bound to each other in such a way that no one may forsake the other in his distress but is obliged to assist and help him as he himself would like to be helped. Or Luther says elsewhere that I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance inflict and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. But if my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but will go freely. He, he sort of says, I'm going to ask God to protect me and I'm, and I'm going to, I'm not going to take stupid risks. I'm not going to 
needlessly get myself infected or infect others. But if someone needs me, I will go even at the expense to myself if I can care for them. And I think that's just a, that's just a powerful and challenging example. Even today, um, reports are coming out that even in China, that there are believers in China um, who are out ministering in the streets and and ministering to medical personnel, delivering food and supplies to quarantine families. Um, that they're leading folks to Christ even in this moment. And so we have a great tradition behind us. Um, that, that leads us and sets an example for us to follow. Now, I'm not saying that we need to go out and needlessly expose ourselves during this time. Um, that's actually probably not the loving thing to do in our circumstance. Um, as the government and health professionals are suggesting, we should practice social distancing. And that's actually probably the most loving thing that we can do to help mitigate its spread. We're also in a very different situation than Christians in past centuries where, you know, they were living in a time before there were modern hospitals where there would have been uh, necessarily like a specialized professional health care system. Um, and they didn't necessarily have the knowledge of that we do about how diseases were transmitted and that people who care can also be carriers even when they are asymptomatic. And so we know a lot more. We know that self-isolation can actually be one of the ways that we love others rather than infecting people as we try to love them. And so although the way we show love will look different, we are no less called to love our neighbors in this moment, even to, to our own cost. But these examples should serve as a model to us and teach us a willingness to serve others even at the expense to ourselves. That, that we should emulate this part of our Christian heritage and the sort of response we find in those who came before us that have the same faith as we do. And all of this is empowered by a theology of resurrection. That because Christ rose from the dead, all those united to him by faith will too raise from the dead with him when he comes again. That death is not the final word. That the worst thing that can happen to us in this life is that we die. But that's not the end of the, that's not the end of the story. That he will come again. He will raise us from dead. And even as Paul says, even in the meantime, before he comes again, to die is gain because we will be in the presence of Christ. And so what can ultimately hurt us? We can't, we should not fear that which can only destroy our flesh, our bodies, what is temporary. And so we don't idolize our lives. We don't idolize the things in this life, our goods, our money, our possessions, things that we can use to serve others, because we understand these things are temporary. These things are fleeting anyways. We are to be stewards to use these things to serve Christ and glorify God. We don't have to hold on to our lives with these sort of clutched, gripped hands as if this is all we have. Our life is, is it. But we understand, we have a hope of resurrection that frees us to serve other people with abandon at the sacrifice of our own selves. And so the question that I think we can ask is, okay, so then what does this look like 
for us? What does it look like for us to serve others? And I'm sure there will be, as the situation unfolds, it will be, it will illuminate more ways and other things we can do. But let me offer just some initial thoughts that I have is, first of all, we can serve others by following the advice of medical professionals to help slow the spread of disease. As I said before, this is a way that we can actually love our neighbors. And instead of just showing concern for our own health, we should prioritize the health of the wider community, not only looking out for our own interests, but also the interests of others, as Paul says in Philippians. We want to care especially for the most vulnerable by exercising an abundance of caution. Think less in your mind, how can I stockpile, and more, how can I care for the vulnerable? That even where it costs us or calls us to sacrifice, where we maybe we have to cancel plans or we have to cancel trips or events that we wanted to be a part of, that we do so. We, we don't hoard resources where others are in need. We Maybe we, we self-quarantine if needed for the sake of other people, even though that may not be something that we want to do. We accept all of these things with joy as opportunities to care and serve others. And we as Christians, we want to be model citizens in how we respond to the pandemic in this way. Other things you can do very practically, and I'll just give a couple, I'm sure there are much more, but just some that come off to the top of my head, are maybe as families, as if daycares close or if kids are home because of school closures um, and parents still need to go to work or whatever, and maybe you have the ability to offer to watch the kids and you can babysit. Um, you can be a relief to that sort of economic hardship they might otherwise face. Or maybe you can contribute food or essential items, like a lot of items are, are out of stock right now that people need. Maybe you can be someone who can contribute to those who are in need of those things. As a church, this is a great time for us to mobilize and organize ourselves to be ready to care for others. I think specifically of deacon teams. Um, this is why having a good polity matters. What I mean by polity is church government, the way the church is organized. The Bible gives us elders or pastors, and it gives us deacons. And one of the roles that deacons often can serve in is being those who are uh, set aside particularly to lead the effort in caring for things like physical needs. Um, it, it's good to divide up as the pastors care for what we might call the spiritual needs. It's good to have people set in place who are ready to uh, mobilize efforts in this respect. And so it's good for deacon teams of churches to take some time and consider what their protocols and, and policies will be as they um, anticipate needs emerging, as people lose jobs or what have you. People have physical and economic needs. But also, it's good that we have a, a good doctrine of the church and that we understand that every single person in the church is a minister. Um, the pastors are not the sole ministers. As Ephesians 4 says, they are the primary uh, folks who exist to equip everyone else for ministry as well. And so every single one of us has a role here to be ready to minister to others. My prayer is that this moment, whatever comes, that this would become a time and an opportunity for us as the people of God to be shaped more and more radically into being the church we were always meant to be. That we would be, as I said before, that this is go time for the church. That this would be a time for the church to live as the church. And that if there's any sort of 
apathy or sluggishness or complacency that we have in the American church where we are acquainted with things being comfortable and it allows us to sort of slough off and not actually live out the radical calling of being the church. This That this would be a time that would radically shape us, that we would walk away transformed from this moment. And all of this is based out of our biblical conviction that as Jesus said in Matthew 25, when he's dividing the sheep from the goats, he says to the sheep, he says to his people who are about to enter his kingdom, he says, I was sick and you cared for me. That one of the evidences of the people of God, of of those who are truly believers and saved by Christ, is that they do just that. They care for others. As 1 John 3.16 says, Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought then to lay down our lives for the brothers. May we be motivated by Christ's love for us and emulate his same love to others.